Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today we are going to talk about, I guess um, I'm going to do a little bit of a debrief and talk about the uh, planning of the uh, recent Dungeon Musings uh, gaming marathon, the Musers Marathon. Uh, at the time of recording, it's a couple of days since we uh, concluded that. So I thought that would be a good um, uh, topic or, or fodder for topic uh, to talk about um, kind of the approach I took on it, how I prepped for uh, a 15-hour adventure, and uh, how I think it went. So let's get to the episode. All right, so for, for as an intro for those who may not be familiar with the uh, concept or the, the idea of what the Musers Marathon is, uh, once a year, uh, for the last... I guess about six or seven years now, I have um, uh, used my birthday as an excuse to get together with uh, friends from, um, previously it was friends from back home, from my hometown, to play one epic session of uh, of a game that I had not uh, run in a while. Usually it was a surprise for the players, and I'd spring it on them, and then we'd hand out character sheets, or we'd hand out pre-gen characters, and then we'd play for about 15 or 16 hours, and uh, we'd take breaks throughout the day to, uh, you know, get food and, and so forth, but it was, um, you know, one big epic sort of uh, adventure, and, you know, by the end, we'd all be exhausted, and, um, yeah, but thoroughly thrilled. It was... Uh, after even after the first one, it very quickly became my um, my absolute favorite holiday uh, of the year. I just uh, thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the day because uh, it's such a, a change from how I normally play. Not only because of the length of time, um, but also because of the uh, the fact that we're playing in person. We uh, we streamed the games uh, as well because, uh, or at least since we had a channel, uh, we streamed the games, but. Um, it was it was all you know very much all of us sitting around a table and I got to, to take advantage of the format as well too with like handouts and in some cases I would select games that would particularly work well with uh, uh, with that particular format like uh, we ran for our first one I think our Warhammer Fantasy Third Edition which uh, makes use of a bunch of uh, board game mechanics or board game uh, kind of accessories at least uh, including. Um, uh, cards and tokens and like meters and things like that and it was a, a, just an enormous amount of fun um, and then the uh, the pandemic came and uh, because of the pandemic I didn't want to not do something to celebrate I had to cancel my uh, my planned trip back to, to my hometown but I uh, I decided I wanted to do something uh, different so we did an online one last year and uh, it was it was great because I mean, uh, while it wasn't the, um, well, it's not true. There was like maybe one or two friends from from back home who were able to join in on the on the marathon. Um, it was the people who we regularly see on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Uh, so that was a, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, this year, I decided to do the same thing. But uh, last year, I uh, well, the last two years of marathons. Uh, we haven't seen a conclusion to the story that we started in our uh, in our adventures, and this year I was really intent on not repeating what I saw as a mistake. Uh, so this year I um, I didn't know what um, you know what we were going to run, um, but 
at least not initially. A lot, a lot of times I have like a game that's sort of a leading, you know, contender, and then often at the last minute I'll switch it because uh, I got a different idea I want to chase uh, for uh, for a week's marathon. But this one, it it really was sort of a fortuitous bit of timing where uh, I had been really looking forward to the release of the um, Savage Pathfinder rule set. Um, Pinnacle Entertainment recently kickstarted a version of Savage Worlds that is changed to, to play more like what uh, Pathfinder plays like. And this isn't the first time that Path- that uh, the folks at Pinnacle have taken, Path- uh, have taken Savage Worlds and tweaked it to play more like a, a different classic game because uh, they were the couple of years before they had successfully kickstarted two kickstarters actually for Savage Rifts, uh, an adaptation of Palladium Games' uh, classic game, and um, and it was just it was really great. Uh, it, it, the Savage Rifts was a lot of fun, so I was really looking forward to seeing what Savage Pathfinder was going to be like. And boy, oh boy, it really didn't disappoint. You know, uh, they released a core book and. Uh, the first module from the Rise of the Rune Lords Adventure Path, as well as a shorter module. And they're draft versions, they weren't the, the final versions, but I like them enough, um, and I'd had enough fun with Savage Worlds in the previous months running a handful of Deadlands uh, games that I I, just, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try and get this to the table and see what we think here. So we played one session of it, and it was pretty fun. Uh, and then we played more and more and more, and... I kind of decided that I took a weekend just to get all the the you know the grunt work done for the uh, for the marathon, and I wrote up uh, 14 characters uh, for the for the game. Entered them all into roll 20 because that was the expected number that we had. We still didn't know what we were going to be playing, uh, but we knew what the sessions were going to be, and we knew what the uh, like when they were going to be played, and who was available to play in them. So I. Um, sat down and went to work, uh, you know, writing these characters up, and the way that I approached the, at least the characters for it, I I went with the pre-gens, because uh, I have done character generation before with, um, with other games, and it just, it, uh, it takes up a lot of time, you know, um, and if what my intent is, is to highlight the character creation portion of a game, uh, like we did with in one marathon with uh, Traveler, with Mongoose uh, Publishing's second edition Traveler, then that's that's a worthwhile endeavor. That's to show the guys, hey, this is something you may not have been exposed to before, and here is um, you know the reason I like this particular game. And the uh, I, I did then I did that again with um, uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And honestly, I, I probably could have if I if I had it to do it again. I would have just made pre-gens. Uh, the act of playing the game was as much fun, you know, and really that was the thing. There was nothing novel about creating a, a character in Dungeons & Dragons because that's effectively the same process you go through when you're creating a character in uh, in Ash. But for this one, I went with pre-gen characters. Um, and also because I, for this one, another reason, I uh, whenever I run a game for the first time for, for new people, like for the first time they're playing it, uh, I tend to go with pregens because I want to give them an opportunity to see how the game plays and see how different parts of it uh, interact before they make their first character, especially when there's 
um, when there isn't just random generation, what they're, what they're doing is they're making a decision of picking certain abilities over other abilities or prioritizing certain skills over other skills because otherwise you can you can make rookie mistakes and have characters that struggle because of the way that you built your character. Savage Worlds in particular is like this, or at least the way I run Savage Worlds, because there are Savage Worlds itself has a bunch of different great sub-mechanics for adding like game mechanics to different elements of, uh, of your adventure. Uh, so, and that includes things like uh, uh, some good social conflict rules, uh, dramatic tasks, uh, great overland travel rules, um, both the, um, the actual overland travel uh, rules for random encounters and the journeys rules uh, that I really like from the Savage Rifts book, Fields, uh, what is it, Tomorrow Legion Field Manual. Um, and chases use different skills. So, like, it's, it's cool to see that there's different, uh, each of those different things prioritize different skills and, uh, and different attributes as well. So, you know, if you come in and you decide you want to make a fighter and all you really do is dump all of your, your points into getting a really great fighting score, that's great, but your character is going to really suffer in pretty much every other part of the game. And, and I, because I take advantage of so much of the, uh, uh, the game, that would um, that would make for about um, gosh uh, that would make for about uh, two thirds of the game that your character is going to be kind of sitting on the sidelines, and then only then uh, they, they get a chance to actually you know go and try and whack stuff. And I, I like the way that um, Savage Worlds uh, encourages more well-rounded uh, characters. So. For that reason, I mean, I, I would have used uh, pregens anyway with Savage Worlds because there's, there were quite a few people who had not played before. Um, we also used the money from the uh, that we raised through um, uh, advertising on the channel to give a little thank you to uh, the players. So I, I got copies. Those who did not have copies of uh, the Savage Worlds core rule set, we got copies of uh, that sent to them by. Paizo, so everyone had a copy. The rules for Savage Pathfinder are a little different, but I, uh, you know, they that's not out yet, and I'm not going to wait. So I wanted to give them that. And then the, those who had a copy of Savage Worlds Adventure Edition already, uh, I got them copies of The Witcher uh, RPG because that's another game I anticipate we're going to probably see on the channel uh, sometime soon, or the very least, it's a game I really enjoyed and uh, and thought that the players might uh, enjoy that as well. Then, so the Knowing that I had 14 players, um, obviously, like, the the thing you can't do, and, and it looked like there was quite a few people who were going to be able to make quite a few sessions, so, and there was a possibility that we might have as many as, like, 10 or 12 players for any one session. And rather than, than trying to organize everybody into uh, specific, you know, like, groups for, like, this day or that day or tell them they couldn't show up for things... I just said, fine, tell me what ones you can make, and then that's fine. And um, trusting that that basically the, you know, the life circumstances would take care of themselves. And, you know, sure enough, there were two players who ended up not being able to make the, the uh, gaming marathon at all. Uh, so that made it that, that the, you know, the likelihood of the highest uh, seat count would be between 8 and 10 just because I knew there were certain people who had odd uh, or schedules opposite each other. Um, and then in, over the course of the weekend, we'd have people who had things come up. You know, we had emergencies come up or family um, requirements or whatever. Like there were just, 
there were things that came up that uh, pulled their attention away from it and they weren't able to attend the session. So what we ended up with was um, sat, people attending on average between, uh, we had each session of between seven and eight players, which uh, still is a, is a big group of players. And Savage Worlds, for those who aren't familiar with it, it has a, um, it's got about, about a mid-crunch level of uh, complexity to the combat. Um, the There are a couple of different dice rolls that are involved in combat, like not only to hit, but also to uh, to roll for, for damage, and then potentially rolling for soak for, for a target, although that's not a guarantee every every uh, uh, with every target. And um, you also uh, do a, a set initiative for every session, or every uh, every round of uh, of combat. So my concern was was that like I, I obviously can't have multiple combat sessions. Our session lengths were, or multiple combat encounters, I should say, session lengths were going to run between eight, no, sorry, four hours and three hours. And I kind of had committed that I wanted to make sure that each of the different sessions would be something that the players could drop drop in and drop out of. I didn't want anyone to feel that just because they played in, you know, one of the sessions as opposed to other ones that they got the short end of the stick. I wanted every session to have something to to offer the, the players, but I also wanted to make sure there was an overarching uh, story that was going on as well. And uh, so the first thing I did is I made a list of uh, characters, you know, and I, and I sort of made a list of uh, different character classes and the setting I decided I would use for my Savage Pathfinder game was uh, Numeria, the uh, Paizo's setting of science and, you know, science fantasy. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic, you know, uh, expedition to the Barrier Peaks or Thunder Thunder of the Barbarian or, you know, lion, um, what do you call it? Thundercats, uh, kind of inspired setting. And I, um, I had initially uh, planned or thought at least I might run the actual module. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know, like even if I, I spend the first session to sort of setting the pace for those I won't spoil the module the first module for Iron Gods which is the adventure path sit, set in uh, Numeria for anyone who uh, who wants to play it or may play it uh, down the road but it's um, the there's a um, an, an incident that happens that sort of sets off the the events of the uh, of the story and I really did not want to um, I I one thing I don't like about the adventure uh, as written is it sort of just, it happens and it affects the town. And it's one of those things where like, if there was buildup or if there was investment on the part of the players in that setting and in that, that place, then it would be much better than, um, you know, than the, uh, uh, than how it's written where you just, you know, you show up and there's a the problem there. So I've always been of the mind that I want to get the characters invested in Torch. And what I started doing as well was just sort of running on the Sundays when we had been running the uh, the regular, um, what do you call it, the regular Deadland sessions using Savage Worlds. I just started running the Road to Iron Gods. I did a month's worth of, of sessions. And like we did those, some of them were on Friday, some of them were on Sundays, and it's sort of ran them when we could and when we were down players and, and needed to have an excuse to run something different. So, and it, there was also a 
kind of plan behind that. I wanted to get the characters. I started them off at their as if they were starting characters, and let the players get advancements, which are the way that you uh, get experience in Savage Worlds and in Savage Pathfinder, and that would allow them to you know develop these characters a little bit and make these pregens more of their own and have them play mechanically as well as with uh, the personality that that uh, they've selected, and. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Like I didn't, I didn't really have a uh, a plan per se of how I was going to have those uh, play out. Like how I was going to let the um, the uh, those adventures connect to the main one because I still hadn't quite locked down what what the idea was. I had a rough idea, you know. But um, to be honest, I was so busy at the day job in the lead up to this that I did not really have time to to give it much thought. And I think that's actually a good thing because. It allowed me to to really just dive into it when I was ready, and give it my all, and then really turn out uh, I, I think a strong outline for what I thought I could do in the, in the span of those four sessions. So, about a week before, we had had uh, about three weeks worth of playing of the, with these characters uh, by this point, and what I did with the characters is I sort of made a list of every class that was available in Savage Pathfinder, and then identified a couple of other you know, like potential character archetypes that I could build with those rules as well. And then I, I randomly selected uh, races to go or ancestries to go with each of those. So I had a, um, and I mean, I, I incorporated uh, a bunch of the races or ancestries that were from my, uh, from the setting itself. So, you know, in addition to elves and dwarves, we had androids and rat folk and a lot of half-orcs, more half-orcs than you might see normally in a, in a game. And um, then sort of like assign the characters to the, to the players based on, on sort of how I know them and what I think they might enjoy playing. So we, we did that. We were playing about, the, about three weeks in, and then I, I sent out an email saying, hey, you know, uh, if you guys could let me know what days you're, you're going to make, I'll, I'll plan accordingly for that. And it worked out pretty well that I had on one of them at one point I had like nine players on uh, on one of the days and that would have been a bit of a, a bit of a struggle um, but it ended up being like eight players um, actually that's not true I, I think it still would have worked just as well nine players on one day um, there's seven players I think on all the rest of the days or maybe it was eight players on one day and then seven players on the other day so we had big turnouts which was great I mean I, you know I uh, I like one of the things I like about old school games uh, often is that we can get big tables together and have a bunch of friends hanging out and, you know, all cheering for each other. So what I decided was that uh, I obviously with those, especially those big groups, I couldn't just run a bunch of combat encounters. But I wanted to make sure that we got at least one fight in for each of the sessions because it's fun. Like the Savage Worlds combat system is a lot of fun, not only because of the uh, exploding dice and the... um, you know, the, uh, cards and, and whatnot. Um, it's just, it's a really, and the use of Benny's, it's an exciting and fun, uh, game to, uh, is one of the most uh, satisfying, you know, uh, combat uh, systems that I've played. And, and maybe not satisfying, it's the most fun, one of the most fun ones I've had. It just, it's an enormous amount of fun. So I knew I wanted to do that, but I couldn't have with, with nine players, I need to be very selective for how I was going to, uh, actually, you know, schedule my violence as it were. I also knew that I, um, I wouldn't, I, I didn't want to have things where players were sitting around. 
you know, where players were just sitting around. Because, I mean, like, one of the, the problems with those big uh, sessions is sometimes some people are sitting around a little more. So what I wanted was uh, group investment in uh, in whatever we were doing, you know, be it uh, the uh, a fight or an adventure or whatever. So what I ended up going with is I, I then sat back and was like, all right, well, what do I want as my, like, what are the things that I think are, you know, are, are unique about this setting that are not about, you know, that, that aren't present in, um, in other settings and what are things that I can, um, you know, what are things that I can highlight in Savage Pathfinder that I couldn't do or would have more challenge doing with say D&D or Pathfinder or, you know, AD&D or one of the other games that we often uh, play, or at least the, the, D, the sort of standard um, D&D style uh, games. So what I came up with was this idea of a mutant threat coming out. I was flipping through the books and I found this this um, monster called a Yengethe. And a Yengethe is like a very high level um, adversary. It's a really uh, difficult... I think it's like CR 11 or 12 or something in uh, Pathfinder. And it, it has some vicious abilities, but really great thematic stuff. And there are these like weird fear-causing psychic alien creatures that can disguise themselves as trees. And I saw that and I was like, all right, well, psychics, I, I dig on that because that I want to play up that element. And I like the idea of there being like a, um, a lost kind of traveler. I guess I should say there's going to be spoilers for the marathon if you haven't seen it uh, yet and you intend on seeing it. Um, and I knew that I wanted to incorporate an idea of like a a person from the time of the fallen stars because it just, that um, that person out of time thing is is uh, a, a cool part of the setting. You know, the kind of Omega Man type um, type experience or profit from the, um, the mid-2000s comics. And what I did... Um, is I kind of built on that idea and and then sort of thought of like the this I I, I went from just a, a like a psychic traveler to a psychic cyborg to adding in the idea of um, a kind of like a, a a powerful cyborg psychic who uh, was you know confused and and whatnot and um, the reason I went with cyborg is is so that I could tie in elements of the actual Iron God's adventure path and give sort of a, a preview or prelude to that in a different way. And uh, I also really like the idea of a um, uh, an innocent villain. You know, I, th I feel like that, that feels like a very, um, I don't know, like a very 60 sci-fi kind of, you know, tragic villain who is uh, driven by other things. And, and the heroes, what they came to learn of was, you know, from their perspective, they were learning about this character called the Mutant Master. I wanted something very, you know, 50 sci-fi sounding pulp, you know, titles for each of the stories. And uh, it sort of came together from there, just the, the rough idea of there's this, you know, this Mutant Master gives a, an interesting, who's woken up and then somehow um, there's things that have happened to him before that have corrupted him and now he is sort of fighting against that internal corruption and even though he's also putting together this massive army of these Yangethe which are then being modified or twisted to to infect and, and control other beings 
Um, he doesn't want to do it, and he wants to help the the characters. So then I uh, sat down and I, I wrote titles for each of the four sessions to sort of lock in uh, my ideas for, or at least what what I thought was going to happen. And the names I had were uh, Chapter One was going to be Dreams of the Gallows Grove. Uh, chapter Two was Foes of the Feldales. I think I initially called it Fiends of the Feldales. I changed that by the time the session actually ran. Foes of the Feldales. Chapter three was um, Battle of the Torture Trees. And I sort of locked in early that I wanted an ID. I wanted to do something over the weekend that I hadn't had a chance to do. There, there was a great fourth edition D&D adventure path called uh, Scales of War. And over the course of that one, you get to a point where you become aware of what the threat is. And then your characters go out and sort of like collect allies right? It's, it's been uh, replicated in other um, uh, adventures as well, too, like Dragonlance. Uh, the classic Dragonlance modules has a point where you have to collect allies. Um, the, uh, what is it, Tyranny of Dragons, you do that as well, too. You may do that in some of the other uh, more modern 5th uh, edition adventure paths as well, too. I just am not familiar enough with them. But uh, I want, I like the idea of that, and then actually having a battle based on, on the allies that our heroes were able to put together. And I decided to see if I could do that over the course of the weekend, you know, and uh, make use of the rules that were in Savage Pathfinder to give that a fun game mechanic for the players, while also making sure that there was at least one opportunity for the players to go out and beat some heads uh, with their characters, because, you know, uh, I, I was interested in showing the players what the, or how the combat system in Savage Pathfinder differs from that in D&D and how it gives a different experience. So, um, and the final chapter was Hunt the Mutant Master, and I knew that that was going to be after the battle. Hopefully the players were successful, then they were going to go and have to actually face the Mutant Master himself. And I didn't have, I knew that I needed to have the first adventure completely written out, and I needed to have a rough idea of what I wanted for the second, and the third one would, by necessity, um, build on what the second one was, because they were building, you know, building alliances. And I wanted there to be, along the way, interesting decisions and discussions the players would have to have. Uh, so for the first session, what I did is I sent the characters uh, each a little bit of like gossip or rumor or th and things they knew about what was going on. So the players in real time could piece together like, wait a minute, that's weird. And when something happened to, to precipitate their interest in this lone tree that appeared in the middle of the Numerian Plains, the players would be talking to each other to sort out like what what this might mean and what the uh, the greater import of this is um, using those rumors as opposed to me just giving constant info dumps and it allowed you know once one or two of them started figuring out where their tidbit fit in it was interesting seeing the other players trying to find ways of getting their bits like oh guys guys I know this too you know and um I've done something like that before for sessions, and it just, uh, I think it's a really useful, it's a really fun way of, of giving players, um, may, maybe not agency over the story, but a way of um, pacing or participating more directly in unveiling the world. You know, normally that's the DM who largely does that with the description and whatnot, but it's pretty cool. It was a pretty good uh, and effective way of getting them going. Second session, the, the major decisions were which allies to pursue, and I had on the screen a big, like uh, a big um, chart that had you know the eight allies or six allies, I guess they could they could uh, pursue 
uh, what they would get out of them, like the, the extra benefit they would get for defending their town from this oncoming army, and the uh, penalties, the challenges associated with each. So the players end up splitting up and going all over the place, and, and uh, there are those who say don't split the party, but this ended up being great. You know, it was really... Uh, it, it, we cut back and forth between the different scenes or different places where people were and started, made use of the social conflict rules to sort of build towards the, um, the decision of whether these things would ally with our heroes and, and with the town or not. And there was a great deal of investment from, or it felt like there was a great deal of investment from all the players and everyone's success because even though they were spectator, they were benefiting from that because their army, their army that would be facing the mutant master's army would have greater numbers then. And the, um, we, I also, the way the combat encounter was going to go is I was going to send assassins and, and dangerous assassins after each of the players. And, uh, I only wanted to have one per place cause that's all the mutant master I figured could, could send. But, um, you know, in some cases you'd have two out, two combat worthy, um, um you know, heroes who are facing one assassin. And he had others where there was one, you know, support character or non-combat character who was facing an assassin. And we had two characters who, for all intents and purposes, uh, died. Uh, they didn't actually die. Like, we didn't need to cast resurrection spells or anything, but they effectively died, you know. And um, it's only by virtue of the way that Savage Worlds, you know, has this sort of cinematic durability for for heroes that they actually um, were able to, uh, to pull through. But it was... Um, it was a really great, uh, it ended up being a really great and exciting, uh, you know, uh, scene or, or se- uh, session, I should say. And um, then we had the battle, and the battle, we made use of the battle rules, and um, I the way I uh, incentivized the player there, or players there, was there's a narrative meta-currency in... Savage Worlds called Benny's, and what I would do is when uh, I would turn to the players at uh, for each of the uh, each of the at the end of each of the turns, once we've done all the dice rolls, and ask them to summarize what you know what do we see in the game, and if have, if a player did, I'd give him a Benny, and then after that first or second round of the uh, and I think the battle went seven rounds, after the first or second uh, round, the players realized how much they needed those Bennies. So they would really jump in to try and get that that opportunity. And then we had a big fight where that was representing them um, interfering with or like preventing the this sort of um, break off force of the army bringing in these strange devices. Uh, the players still don't know what they do, and I'm not going to spoil that here. Um, so we actually had a, a proper fight fight with uh, the players, and and that proved to be a lot of fun as well. Um, we then uh, concluded the battle, and it's worth noting that at least three, each of the sessions, so those first three sessions, it ended on a really clinch roll. Like, uh, in the, I keep saying exploding dice, but like in uh, Savage Worlds, I call it acing. If you roll the highest number on a dice, you get to roll it again and add it to it. And if that gets the highest number again, you get to keep on going until you're finished. So you can get some really dramatic uh, big dice results, both for the enemies and for the players. And there were a number of times where that really came up at a great time, you know, and uh, and really just um, you could hear the the whole table cheering when uh, the players would get those results, either because it would take down an enemy or it would save a hero who was looking to to you know be certainly dead. Um, so it, it was a really really 
that added a, a fun bit of pacing. And we had some players whose dice were cold and some players whose dice were hot and then went cold. And we had at least one player whose dice were cold for an entire session and then fucking, you know, uh, scorching hot right for their last roll uh, to make for a really satisfying end to a uh, to the first adventure, uh, or first uh, part of the adventure. And then our final one was the... Um, final adventure was the Hunt the Mutant Master. So we sort of opened up with um, the players uh, now piecing together sort of what they thought might be happening. One of the players, uh, he, I knew that he really loves uh, role, he really loves role playing and he really loves the kind of like, you know, using the game to do things that it's not necessarily designed to do. So we had a lot of this, uh, I, I wrote in a lot of this like psychic linking stuff that he was trying to do earlier in one of the earlier sessions to to tie my you know to get the buy-in and give the and convey the information I needed to not only have help them find the mutant master but also to provide context so that they he would understand like there's more going on here than than what appears to be the case so there's that still sense of mystery even though all they're doing is going from a, a you know to find the leader of an army to prevent him from attacking again they there was something else. There was more of a mystery going on there, and the players' great role playing gave me the door that I could use to to convey that information and give that context. Um, there was a bit of we had a little bit of travel we did. We had a great fight with a big adversary, a giant robot that was like three stories tall that saw some great uh, turns of like you know benefit. The heroes got uh, attacked. The they were getting hit pretty hard. Uh, there was a friendly fire incident in the course of it as well. That was really funny. But it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a really terrific game. And, and a result, we ended it with, once again, splitting the party, where uh, instead of having a fight at the end, because we already had one really big, interesting fight, um, I ran the final encounter as similar to what we used for the battle and similar to what we used for dramatic tasks, which are kind of like fourth edition skill challenges, but for, uh, uh, for Savage Worlds. And the way that the... We split them like some characters were stuck in a psychic dreamscape, um, trying to protect this like this the human part of the cyborg from its infected robotic part, and the other heroes were trying to make their way through this jungle of slumbering Yengethe, and one of them had nearly uh, annihilated the entire party, trying to make their way through to find the single tree or Yengethe that had actually swallowed the physical body of this uh, uh, of this. Um, cyborg, and it worked out really well. It, it just it, like the, there was excitement there, you know. Uh, and a lesson there is that like you don't need to necessarily end a fight or end a um, a game with a a combat fight, like uh, or uh, just a, a fight where they're they're beating the shit out of characters uh, and just taking advantage of the combat rules. This gave a game mechanic way for the players to look in the character sheet and and use stuff that their characters were good at you know, their, their abilities, their powers, their spells, their whatever. Um, but not just resort to like, you need to, to roll initiative and beat this thing down and, and whatever. It was, it was really great. It's a big advantage that, that the way that, uh, Savage Worlds orders and Savage Pathfinder does this too, orders, um, actions between the players is that it makes use of the exact same initiative system with, by drawing cards and ordering them in that way. And, and I, I really, I really, really like that. I think it, it, um, tells you that, you know, there's no difference in drama between the 
you know, an interesting travel montage or uh, an interesting dramatic task where you're trying to achieve some mutual goal, like sneaking into a place or, you know, disarming a bomb or, I don't know, trying to locate something hidden in the wilds, uh, it gives it that same dramatic pacing. And and also because of the way that jokers work in the game, if you draw a joker as a uh, your initi- initiative card, what you get is uh, plus two to all your actions and all damage, and which is big in, in Savage Worlds, and uh, everybody gets a Benny. So when a Joker shows up on your side, everybody celebrates because you get another uh, bit, of, another uh, narrative meta currency. And then we, uh, yeah, we concluded with that with that uh, thing. The, the heroes succeeded, and I did a little bit of a teaser for what might come from an ongoing game because we talked about uh, expanding this into an ongoing game as well too. And uh, and it was great. So that's that's my summary of what what led up to the gaming marathon. What sort of my thoughts were going in and, and how I decided to organize those, um, you know, the different event, the different things. And you'll note that like out of the 15 hours that we played, uh, there was about four of them that were spent in combat. You know, the rest of the time was spent role-playing or engaging some of those other mechanics. And, uh, that's not, that's neither bad nor, you know, it's neither better nor worse, but I, I like, uh, if variety is what you're looking for and, and keeping, you know, giving the players fresh ways to engage with the story in different game mechanics, I think it it uh, it really shows that, that Savage Pathfinder gives you a lot of different ways to do that. Um, but let's talk more about um, the, the post. That's, that's sort of the summary of what led up to it. Let's talk about a debrief in our next segment. All right, so now what about a, a debrief? So what do I think uh, went well? Um, I think, I mean, to be honest, I think that I really could not ask for the weekend to have gone better. Uh, I uh, am very, I'm I'm satisfied with how the story played out. We got everything uh, in that we wanted to. Um, I think that the sub-mechanics we used were great for everything. Uh, One change I made, I forgot to mention in the the, uh, earlier bit, uh, was or the first section of this uh, episode was that uh, I initially was saying that uh, I would uh, change the uh, advancement so that uh, in in Savage Worlds uh, there are four tiers of play, four tiers, five tiers of play: heroic, where you start; I'm sorry, uh, novice, where you start; seasoned, then veteran, then heroic, then legendary. And I was saying, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll do four per, you know, uh, four advancements per, per time, which is what you would get, uh, you know, what you need to get to the next tier so we can see the full tier of play. And then I, I realized that as we were leading up towards the marathon that, you know, one per one advancement per session is, is plenty. And there's, there's a lot of people who are learning the game for the first time. Uh, so you know, the, um, adding or asking them to add on four extra, you know, uh, four extra abilities and then track that over the course of every session of the weekend, you know, uh, I probably is not fair. Um, and, and, and we'll just cause more, you know, more confusion rather than just letting the characters get to know the character, their players get to know the characters. So I did change that. Um, and I wouldn't have, I'm glad I did. I think like updating four different, um, 
you know, four abilities uh, for every single character, especially for the people who were new to the game, would have been a pain. And it was fine. Like, I mean, I think that getting the one extra thing between sessions was most enough for the players. Uh, I didn't award any, like, loot or treasure or stuff, but that's not really what... You didn't really have time for that, and it really wasn't what the, the story was about. So I'm going to be um, engaging that stuff in the ongoing campaign and including that stuff, but it was fine. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I don't regret having, uh, having not uh, added things in. It also, for those who were short on healing resources, like healing potions and such... Um, it definitely lent an element of urgency to the uh, to the overall adventure because the players, you know, uh, I think that in especially over the course of the battle uh, and over the course of some of the actual fights that we had, players it seemed were more desperate for their resources for power points and such uh, than they uh, otherwise were. Um, I've also noticed the Elan. Uh, back, uh, what he called uh, ability is extraordinarily powerful. Uh, it's good. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with it. But the what it does is it on a when you spend a bending to reroll a, a dice, you get plus two to your trait roll, and that's really, uh, yeah, that's really powerful. Um, one of the things that is again like one of those things you would only learn over the course of play is uh, Savage back, Savage Worlds and Savage Pathfinder have these. Um, background abilities that normally uh, you can only or background edges and normally you can only take those at character creation and the the I mean there's a you know in fiction reason for that because many of these are like things that are intrinsic about your character you're you know beautiful you're um, lucky you're whatever you know and like you're big you're larger than what the average for your species is and normally I I had said before that, like, well, I don't, I don't mind uh, if uh, you know, because the, the game says if if the if you're okay with it, you can let players take these later on. I think that I would probably enforce that in my next campaign with Savage Worlds. I'll enforce that a lot more strictly, uh, only because I don't want everyone taking the lawn. Uh, I, I just it feels like it's one of those abilities that if you do take it later on, it's going to be a huge benefit. I made it a racial ability for one of the, uh, for the androids. And it's offset with some pretty, you know, substantial penalties as well. But um, I, yeah, I mean, I I have a healthy respect for that particular edge right now, because boy, is it good. Um, What else uh, did I think of it? Uh, I think that... um, the pro- the providing um, information beforehand that the players can then disseminate uh, it, it's work, uh, but I think that I would like to try uh, incorporating that into more adventures uh, going forward because it's a neat it's a neat way for the players to it's not quite blue booking in the sense of like the uh, you know Aaron Alston type uh, blue booking is where the players are actually role-playing a whole bunch of stuff uh, between sessions in, in written format. Um, but it is it's something akin to that, I think. Like, it's it's a little bit of uh, development that's happening in between that will then have a consequence on the, the actual campaign. And I, um, I loved how it felt at the table. Like I said, I mean, like, I, I think it really... Having, that, having information come to the players from other players as opposed to me feeding information to them felt 
much better. Like it was, it was much more interesting seeing them talk about it and like ask questions of each other and, and what they thought of it and whatnot. And I would, um, yeah, I would definitely consider, uh, doing that again. I think it's a really effective way to, uh, not only to have all the players engage with each other, but also let the players, for those who are interested in, in sort of helping to guide their shape or push the story forward, uh, to do that stuff. Um, what else? Uh, Savage Worlds is a terrific game system. You know, I mean, it's, I think it, it, uh, it, you can have really fun, uh, fights with it. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you can also have a, there's a, such a, a big tool uh, kit, uh, full of, of neat, uh, game mechanics you can use to lend different game structure to different, uh, parts of an adventure that it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it satisfies the same kind of like game designy kind of itch that uh, I get when, uh, or that is satisfied by um, Pathfinder Two and D and D Fourth to a degree. You know, the the more heavily um, art, I guess, structured and um, specified format that you can get in some of the more challenge, like complicated skill challenges. I mean, exactly the same type of thing you can get in this. Um, one thing that I found, uh, having watched an old episode of our fourth edition uh, actual plays, I, I was watching to see how the players were interacting with with that. And one of the things I did in, in um, we did a Night Below War story with fourth edition. And what I did in that one is I made sure that I had a clear guide on there. I had a little picture on there, and then I had listed what skills could be used in the skill challenge and how they could play in and whatnot. And then we also just discussed it before we started the skill challenge. And I think that um, I think that that was I did the exact same thing with our social conflict. I should have done it with the battle as well too, but the uh, it proved to be really good. You know, like I mean, that having the players have that, that effectively like that playmat in front of them that explains what the rules are and the stakes are and what they're going to be doing was really effective. It was really helpful for the players to be able to make decisions when it wasn't their turn uh, and to discuss the pros and cons of different approaches. You know, like in the um, in the way in the uh, in the, the prelude to when the players were going out to look for allies for the, uh, for the uh, coming battle, for the Battle of the Torture Trees, the guys were, were talking about, you know, well, this particular, you know, um, this particular, uh, a, you know, ally, they're going to be easier to get, but they don't contribute as much, or, you know, so-and-so will be harder to get, and they had, from previous adventure, they had called in a favor from someone else, uh, I would, I think, have a clear idea of what the different um, uh, goals would, would be uh, or like how, how you can get extra tokens and how you can get extra um, side benefits, you know, from, from those uh, social conflict rules. But uh, I really like them. I like them a gr- an enormous amount. And the mass battle rules worked really well. Like, I think they were my... Uh, like an absent you sitting down and playing out a mass battle with a bunch of miniatures. Uh, if you're gonna have that abstracted into a narrative format, I really enjoyed the the way that the Savage Worlds uh, mass battles worked. 
Like it just it I, and I and I I think if I had if I was gonna run it longer, like if I was gonna have a a longer you know war in a different um, format, uh, not just one single battle, I might add in more opportunities for the players to specifically. Whoa, what are you doing? I might uh, add uh, add in more opportunities for the players to. Um, to affect this stuff by, by taking actual action, like by dropping into that uh, uh, combat uh, encounter, as opposed to the narrative things. Not because the narrative things weren't fun; like there was there were stakes in it. They were the characters were able to make use of uh, you know good um, uh, good use of um, limited assets. Uh, they got to add narratively to the uh, to the game uh, over the course of the uh, battle, and like so, all of that was really great. It just it was it was you know it's fun to play out some of those bigger battles and I, I would like to see I kind of pulled a fast one on the players uh, at one point where the um, the players thought they were going to get a uh, detachment of the militia to come with them to fight this uh, this one Yengethe this one torture tree they saw and then the Yengethe took control of them and turned them against the their the players so um, I, I think Savage Worlds does do a really good job of. Uh, of abstracting the uh, of making it easy to have a bunch of different uh, NPCs on the board and let players control them uh, so I would like to see that and I probably would do that in a future thing just with seven players you know or eight players or whatever it was we had for the actual battle I didn't need to add in extra NPCs for it. that would just bog things down I also really like um, the the fight with uh, the giant robot in chapter four uh, I learned a lot from that as well too, because I was struggling to figure out how to make a giant robot kind of feel threatening. Um, I chose not to make use of Benny's to soak to prolong the the fight, uh, mainly because I like I, we were you know we were sort of getting towards that that last. I knew how much time I wanted to spend with our last sequence, so I um, I didn't uh, I didn't include that. Um, but the yeah, I mean the 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 way that um, that one worked, even though it had a really high uh, armor, like the way that uh, damage works in, in Savage Worlds, there's not like hit points or anything. Uh, what you do is you roll against a uh, a set number. Yeah, so you're you're rolling against uh, their toughness, and then if you uh, roll a number equal to their toughness, they become what's called shaken, which is like prone to injury and. Um, if uh, you get a what's called a raise, you roll four over the target number, then you score a wound, and for every four points or over, you get another wound. So, you know the if, if a target has only like most uh, extras, most NPCs will only have uh, they won't even be able to take one wound. They take one wound, they die. Um, but for the robot, I gave it three, uh, and yeah, I mean it. Um, that that's a really fun mechanic where I can, I, you know, I don't make the, the, one of the ways you differ between, uh, player characters are all what's called wild cards. And there can be NPCs that are wild cards as well Two the ways that wild cards differ from everyone else in the game is they get to roll what's called a wild die, a D six in addition to whatever their skill. So every skill check they make, whether it's an attack or whether it's athletics or whatever, they roll a D six alongside that. And then whichever of the two is better, that's the one they get to keep. And they also get their own bennies, uh, and they can take uh, th- three wounds before they die. They, on a fourth wound, they die. So that makes 
the fights against them a little more lasting. And because they've got those bennies, they can actually soak. When someone does get a lucky strike on them, I can spend a benny to try and soak that. I make a vigor check, and then on it, for every success and raise, I get to reduce the amount of wounds I take by one. And the bennies are a limited resource for the for the DM as well too, or the marshal. So it's not like you're sitting with you know an unlimited, constantly rerolling, rerolling, rerolling. Uh, the way that I spent my bennies, uh, if I wanted to make a boss fight last a little bit longer, I would have sat on more bennies um, and waited. Because uh, each individual, each NPC uh, wild card, they have their own bennies, and the uh, the uh, marshal also gets a number of bennies equal to the um, the number of players. So I uh, so next time I, I I think I would be more mindful of how fast I'm blowing through my bennies. But it's, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, and I think um, keeping those bennies um, a little less, uh, being mindful that, that players don't stockpile them. Um, because, like, the there were players who were playing with it mostly who were, like, had none left by the end of the session. You know, they were constantly fighting for that last benny. And every joker that came up, they were like, oh, thank God. And that was great. And I think that I maybe... Um, I need to, with, you know, I needed to, for those characters, be a little more uh, generous with my awarding of bennies to individual players, uh, whereas I had other players who just, like, they were sitting on six or seven by the end of the session, and each session, and I mean, part of that is the way that the players were choosing to spend their bennies, but also the necessity that they had. So, um, I think that targeted awards for bennies is something that I would definitely want to be trying in future. Uh, instead of just saying, like, everyone gets a Benny, I'd, like, specifically awarding it. What I was uh, not wanting to do is is accidentally, uh, you know, award one player too many Bennies um, and and not award to others. But uh, I, I think that I'm, I'm a little less worried about that right now. And, I mean, we've we had really good uh, role-playing all around, so if I was doing individual um, awards for Bennies... It is definitely an important thing for the, you know, for the players to feel a sense of, of control over the game. Um, the bennies are very, especially with a game that has such uh, unpredictable dice results, it's very important for them to have them. But at the same time, the lack of those resources, man, that, that feels, it seemed to feel very, very tense for some players. And, and, and that's good, you know, like that stakes were up because they'd already blown through all their bennies. So, um yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't really have any other. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate to play with with an amazing amount, amazing group of players. So, we were very fortunate to have some terrific role playing from everybody, uh, and some great um, use of their bil- abilities as well too. Uh, we learned there's a couple things we screwed up. You know, I found afterwards too. We we're using rapid fire because it hasn't come up very often. But like when you're using uh, something that's got a rate of fire greater than one whether that comes from a, an edge or from a, uh, the weapon itself, uh, you suffer what's called a snapfire penalty, minus two, uh, or not a snapfire penalty, but a, a recoil penalty. And then you can get edges to offset that stuff, but uh, it's that would have, I think, maybe had a little bit of, of an effect on how, uh, how deadly some of the range attacks felt. But, yeah, I mean, I am really, really looking forward to seeing more of this game at the table. Not, not only the, you know, the play with the, um, with these particular characters, the characters are, uh, 
the characters, the way that the, the players have developed them over the course of the the road to Iron Gods and then the, the gaming marathon was fantastic. And like they're really interesting characters now. And with interesting relationships between the two, like you can see how characters were interacting with each other and like not not only in a like in a role-playing way, I mean like genuine relationships between certain characters developed, which I, I really appreciated. Um and yeah, this, so not only these characters, but like this game in general. Like I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed the experience of uh, writing for this. Uh, of I'd be interested to see more of you know, like from from the start. We tonight we've got our, our next uh, session in a war story uh, in this, in Seven Night Below with the characters playing. Um, basically classless, like, like zero level care, the equivalent of zero level characters, but they're still, you know, pretty impressive. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that and then other, you know, games with this. Uh, we've got a Ravenloft one shot that will be running when the Beetle and Grimm, uh, shadowy silver edition of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft comes out and I'll prime, I'm leaning definitely towards using Savage Pathfinder for that as opposed to fifth edition or, you know, Pathfinder 2 or AD&D or any of the other games but um, but yeah it was really great just uh, it was not in past I've uh, on good marathons I mean honestly for all the marathons I come away with a feeling of like glowing satisfaction just just like enormous joy and exhaustion and whatnot and I, I definitely felt that again at the end of this one uh, this I think maybe I mean, uh, we, we've managed to, to get to pretty satisfactory resolutions on a lot of our gaming marathon ones, but this one felt really, really good. Like, each of the individual four sessions ended with a satisfactory uh, conclusion and a, an actual conclusion to it. Um, I think each of the individual episodes had an arc to it as well, too. So players went through a, a process of discovery and, and whatnot, which... It's exactly what I wanted for it. I, I'm really, I, I really am interested in trying to not replicate the the feeling of it, but like the the way that the four part structure worked. Um, it reminds me a bit of the Champions game that we ran recently. Well, not recently, two years ago, I guess. But um, we ran two years ago where there, were, where there was a four part uh, structure to it as well. Two hours each for that one, so it was a little tighter. But it's sometimes fun to write for those uh, more limited um, duration. You know, I, I end up having to really cut uh, the fat, as it were, for, for the stories. Uh, and I don't think that there was... I mean, there were clear, you know, uh, motivations for what the characters needed to do in this particular campaign. But And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a, a railroading. But it didn't feel like it. Like, I mean, I don't feel like, I felt like the players had agency. They were, there was structure to the adventure they were in, but they were not forced to make a specific decision. You know, um, the exploration of the tree, finding the tree is probably the thing that I felt was the most a bit railroady and maybe hunting the mutant master. That was also maybe a bit railroady, but I, I don't think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about uh, how that that played out, I, I felt it was very, a very satisfactory resolution. So, anyway, I think that's it for I've got to say for the uh, 
for my, um, you know, debrief. Uh, I, I, uh, I just, once again, it was my, my proved to be my favorite, absolute favorite holiday. Uh, I had so much fun, uh, an enormous thank you to everybody who played in the session, everyone who watched us. I, I just, I'm, I'm going to be coasting on the, on the amount of fun and satisfaction that I had out of the, uh, that particular game for quite some time. So, uh, thanks everybody. Um, and with that, let's bring this uh, episode to a close. So that brings us to the end of another episode of the Dungeon Musings podcast. I hope that uh, you have found this overview, the lead up to, and the aftermath of the Musers Marathon to be, uh, in, hopefully, of some benefit. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns regarding this uh, episode uh, or anything else on the podcast, please don't hesitate to shoot me a voicemail on Anchor. <coughs> Anna. You can, uh, Anna says, you can also reach me on email, uh, by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. And until we see you again, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy gaming.